welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzee. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy. And in today's podcast, I welcome on to the program Dr. Stephanie Gray. She is a functional medicine provider who helps men and women build sustainable and optimal health and longevity so they can focus on what matters most to them. She has been working as a nurse practitioner, practitioner since 2009. She completed her doctorate focusing on estrogen metabolism from the University of Iowa in 2011. Additionally, she has a master's in metabolic nutritional medicine from the University of South Florida's medical school. Her expertise lies within integrating anti-aging and functional medicine. She is arguably one of the Midwest's most credentialed female healthcare practitioners, combining many certifications and trainings. She completed an advanced fellowship in anti-aging, regenerative, and functional medicine in 2013. She became the first BioT certified provider in Iowa to administer hormone pellets. We talk about that in the podcast. She is the author of the FNP Mastery app and an Amazon best-selling author of her book, Your Longevity Blueprint. She is co-founder of Your Longevity Blueprint Nutraceuticals with her husband, Eric. They own the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic in Hiawatha, Iowa. And in this episode... Stephanie and I first talk about what is functional medicine and integrative medicine. We talk about hormones that impact your bone density as you age and how to find your deficiencies, the difference between natural and synthetic hormones, uh, her book, Your Longevity Blueprint, A Guide to Mastering Each of Your Body Systems, and much, much more. It's a, if you are interested in how your hormones can affect your bone density, things like osteoporosis, osteopenia, then this is going to be a really informative episode for you. I've learned a lot from Stephanie through this, and I want to thank her for coming on the podcast. Hi, Dr. Stephanie Gray. Welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to finally have you on. This is taking forever between the two of our schedules. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to speak with you today. Yeah, I'm very excited. And we had met Gosh, last year maybe? October. Yeah. October of last year. Holy cow. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm very excited to have you on because I, when uh, we met at Unfair Advantage, and I remember hearing your story and hearing you speak, and I thought, I need to, I need to talk to this woman because I think she's doing some really great work. So I'm happy to have you on and share all about what you're doing. We'll talk about your book, The Longevity Blueprint, in a little bit. But first, can you let the audience know a little bit about your journey from your BS to your MS in nursing to doctorate to all these certifications and how that happened and the why behind it? Sure. Well, maybe the short version is that I was born and raised in the Midwest and I grew up in a very healthy family and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do with my life as many people are unsure. Um, my parents always took us to see a chiropractor, not a regular doctor. They were self-employed, had a really high deductible, right? So they wanted to keep us healthy. And, <laughs> and I, growing up, I 
I wanted to get into medicine. I kind of grew up wanting to be a doctor. I'd play with my doctor kit, but I didn't necessarily want to prescribe drugs. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll go into nursing, right? So I went through the nursing program at University of Iowa and I love nurses. Man, they are so important. Uh, <laughs> we have a shortage. We need more nurses. But I thought I wanted to have more autonomy and more independence, and I wanted to still be able to diagnose and treat patients. And so I did continue on to become a nurse practitioner, and I ended up going through the master's and then the doctorate program. And I still was a little unsatisfied. I, I felt like, man, I, there's got to be more to life than prescribing stat medications, right? Nursing is a more holistic approach in general, and that's why I'm you know, biased to nurse practitioners as primary care providers, because I think they do provide a more holistic approach. But I, I wanted some additional training so that I could incorporate nutrition, that I would have some credentials behind recommending things other than, other than drugs. So I did also then pursue a master's in metabolic nutritional medicine, which taught me a lot about you know, using supplements and herbs and whatnot, which I, I heavily apply in my practice. And then I also did complete the advanced fellowship in anti-aging, regenerative, and functional medicine. Uh, which helped me tremendously. I learned a lot about use of bioidentical hormones as well. And I really just became on fire for integrative and functional medicine and thought, this is it. This is what, especially my community in Iowa needs because there weren't a lot of providers offering this sort of care. So that's, I guess that's kind of my story. <laughs> well, that's a great story. I love it. Now, can you, you mentioned functional medicine and integrative medicine. Can you kind of help us out and talk about what those branches of medicine are? Sure. So integrative medicine combines or integrates conventional medicine with natural and even complementary forms of medicine. Uh, it's not, um, I'll say functional medicine also really more works to get to the root cause of the problem. That's kind of more of the definition of functional medicine. And that's, and I use both in my practice. I use functional medicine to kind of discover the why, but I also use integrative medicine because there is a time and place for medication use. Sometimes patients do need antibiotics or surgery. I've had to partake in them myself. Um, but I want to provide my patients with the best of all worlds combined. So do I think chiropractic is important? Yes. Acupuncture? Yes. Use of supplements? Yes. Medications? All of the above. I think the major, the difference in the analogy I use with my patients that I did not create, a colleague Patrick Flynn did, but uh, he, he mentions conventional medicine as being more of the fire department approach, right? We need conventional medicine. If you have a big, bad, ugly tumor or whatnot, you need the fire department to put that out to remove it. But conventional medicine's tools are drugs and surgery. Functional medicine is a little different. We describe that in my practice as being more of like a carpenter, carpenter approach. And that's what I describe in my book, really helping to repair and rebuild the body, figure out the why the fire happened in the first place and try to get to that root cause of the problem, not just provide a band-aid approach. Right. And that's a great analogy. Thank you for that. That definitely clear makes functional and integrative medicine a little bit clearer for everyone, hopefully. So now I mentioned the book, Longevity Blueprint, and again, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but there's a chapter in the book, chapter four, where you discuss the importance of fixing nutritional deficiencies, and specifically when it comes to our bones. So as mainly women, we all know as we get older and as we go through menopause, our hormones change and bone density can change along with that. So what nutrients I guess are specifically important for our bone. So I'll discuss several nutrients. So many women think calcium is the number one most important nutrient for their bones. And the truth is that your bones need a lot more than calcium. So vitamin D, magnesium, vitamin K2, and strontium are all nutrients that I recommend to my patients. 
I mentioned vitamin D in several different chapters of my book. And that, as many people know, helps your body absorb calcium and phosphorus from the foods you eat. And it helps with bone remodeling. Um, maybe, I don't know how deep we should get into that. <laughs> maybe yeah. I'll just nutrient, but um, without enough magnesium though, calcium can also collect in the wrong places like in soft tissues and cause arthritis. And so magnesium is just as important as calcium. There are there have been several studies of women with osteopenia or osteoporosis showing they're actually not deficient in calcium, they're deficient in magnesium. Yet what's the number one most prescribed supplement for menopausal women? Again, it's it's calcium. Mm-hmm. I personally have had a kidney stone and they are not fun. <laughs> I can't imagine it would be. <laughs> so calcium can not only you know, it can cause bone spurs, but it can cause kidney stones, it can calcify our arteries. We don't want it getting absorbed um, into the wrong places of our body. And, and that's where vitamin K2 comes in also. So vitamin K is probably a really overlooked nutrient. It's one of the four fat-soluble nutrients. So there's A, E, D, which I mentioned briefly, and then mm-hmm. K. So um, it really helps prevent calcium from accumulating in our vessels. And it can even, some people believe, can help remove dangerous calcifications too. We know that low levels of K2 can directly be related to poor bone mineral density. So I like analogies. So here's another analogy on what vitamin K2 really does and vitamin D. So vitamin D is more the doorman that opens the door for calcium to enter the bloodstream. But once it's in the bloodstream, it could go anywhere. So think of K2 as being that usher that's going to direct the calcium from the lobby, if we think of a hotel or whatnot, <laughs> directing into the appropriate seat in our bone matrix. So do we need vitamin D? Yes. Do we need magnesium? Yes. We also need vitamin K2. Uh, do you want me to talk a little bit more about like where we can get K2 from food? Absolutely, yes. So there are different sort or different types of vitamin K. So vitamin K is broken down to K1 and K2. So if you are purchasing a supplement, if it just says vitamin K, you don't necessarily know what you're getting. You want to make sure that the label is really differentiating. It's specifying what is in that product. So vitamin K1 isn't as much needed to be supplemented. It's the deficiency is pretty rare. It's found in leafy greens. Hopefully you're all getting your leafy greens. Mm -hmm. Um, But vitamin K2 um, comes from very specific foods and also bacterial synthesis. So think of, think of yourself as, you know, not, if you don't have a healthy gut, (laughs) unfortunately, your body's not going to be able to convert K1 to K2 in the gut. If you've taken antibiotics, whatnot, if you have a lot of food sensitivities and gut inflammation. And so you really want to think about consuming foods with K2 and possibly supplementing in that as well. So vitamin K2 comes from fermented soybeans, which many of us probably are not consuming. <laughs> um, also from the fat, milk, and organs of grass-fed animals. So things like egg yolk, butter, and even liver. Okay. So the with why we're, coming, we're becoming more vitamin K deficient is that you are what, you're, what you eat eats. If you've heard of what Michael Pollan has said, and I think that's really true with K2. So when we removed animals from the pasture, right, if we don't eat animals that are eating greens, they're not getting the K2 themselves, and then we're not getting it from our food. So you want to make sure you are eating grass-fed animals, and think of wild game. Wild game is really what's usually consuming the greens. So try to consume more pheasant, duck, rabbit, venison, elk, boar, wild turkey. I mean, these are things that we don't all have access to, but that would actually help increase our K2 levels. So if you can't get some of those foods into your diet, then you could consider supplementing. And Got it. You could literally, um, again, consume the fermented soybeans, but MK7 has a pretty long half-life, longer than MK4. So I recommend my patients take MK7. MK4 is actually 
extracted from a tobacco plant, which I don't like either, but MK7 sometimes will come from fermented soybeans, geranium, or chickpea, and the source that we use for our production is chickpea. It has a longer half-life, so a single daily dose can provide longer protection. So many of my patients were putting on 45, 90, or even 180 micrograms of MK7 per day. It's great to incorporate foods that have you know, consumed grass, greens, <laughs> get the chlorophyll to get the, the, the vitamin mm -hmm. K. And to have a great healthy gut that can convert K1 to K2, but if you can't, then supplementing with MK7 is what I recommend. And, and just so people know, are you doing blood tests on people to find these levels? Yes. So, okay, I just want to point that out so that people listening aren't like, well, I'm just going to go buy all this stuff, but you have to go and be evaluated first. Yeah, so in my book in chapter four, I talk about, well, every chapter of the book discusses a functional medicine testing option that's available, and chapter four is all about examining micronutrient deficiencies, um, which even my patients who eat organic, who grow their own food in their backyard, are still oh. <laughs> nutritionally deficient because our food sources are just not as nutrient-dense as they used to be. Uh -huh. I mean, the magnesium content in our foods has been on a decline since the 1950s. It keeps going down and down and down, which is very sad, but... <laughs> Um, because of that, uh, we can see that evidenced on our on the tests that we run on our patients. So one of the first tests for my patients with osteoporosis or penia that we would run is this nutritional analysis, which is looking at vitamin, mineral, amino acid, antioxidant, and even omega levels. And if, if you have the access to a functional medicine practitioner, definitely um, I would recommend getting this test because then you don't have to guess how much magnesium, how much vitamin mm -hmm. do I need? It's better to to really get the test to see what you need. Right. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I just wanted to point that out to people so that they know, are, I guess, also, are there, any, are there any dangers of taking these vitamins if you don't need them? So vitamin K2 at high dosages can cause blood thinning. So if patients are taking um, anticoagulants, if they're on medications like warfarin, you know, Coumadin, mm -hmm. then this could potentiate those effects at really high dosages. So if you're listening to this and you want to take some K2, you, you probably need it, but talk to your doctor okay. if you're on blood thinners just so that they know so that they can monitor your levels. Right. Um, so that would be the biggest, biggest side effect. For patients right. With okay. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. So. And the last uh, nutrient. Yeah. What's, I was just going to ask. <laughs> what else? The last nutrient for um, bone mineral density that I recommend to my patients is strontium. This was one of the first minerals that I really learned about for bone density. So I, I heavily used it initially, even before I learned about the importance of K2. There have been randomized double-blind placebo-controlled clinical trials showing that strontium in a dose of about one gram per day could be equally as effective as a lot of the bisphosphonate medications without getting those nasty side effects. Mm. I've seen this be effective in my patients too. Granted, I'm recommending they take minerals, optimize their hormones, reduce their stress, exercise, right? So all of those interventions are going to have an additive effect for improving bone density, but strontium can be very, very helpful for bone density as well. Nice. All right. So these are, so we have vitamin D, vitamin K2, strontium, and magnesium. And then calcium, of course. And calcium. Of I course. don't put calcium on the top of the list, but yes, calcium. But it's there. Okay. All right. Now, you mentioned hormones for a quick, a quick second there. But is there value in optimizing hormones for bone density? You bet. So about 25, well, I think it's 27% of women over 50 
can have osteoporosis, right? Like a fourth of those patients or of the that population, which is pretty scary. Yeah. And another forty percent, forty percent have osteopenia. Mm. So I'm referencing women over fifty. So what's the other common denominator for women over fifty? Usually, they're going through menopause around that time. Hormone yep. <laughs> levels are declining, and this the danger here is that this can increase risk for fractures, of course. Right. The National Osteoporosis Foundation says that 24% of those with hip fractures die within a year. Mm. That's that's terrible. Very. So, so terrible. absolutely, we I run a hormone clinic, and I strongly believe that improving estrogen, progesterone, and even testosterone levels in women can help with bone density. And I can talk a little, I can go into depth with each of those hormones if you. Yeah, I, I think I would like a little bit more in-depth conversation on that. And also the difference between synthetic and natural hormones. Sure, sure. So maybe first we'll talk a little bit about estrogen. So estrogen okay. literally helps with the proper bone remodeling process. Progesterone helps promote osteoblastic activity. So osteoblasts help build your bones while osteoclasts break it down, right? So progesterone is going to help with the bone builders. And testosterone has been proven to actually stimulate new bone growth, excuse me, and inhibit or block the osteoclastic, that breaking down activity. Mm -hmm. um, progesterone, I've even been heard called, one time I heard it called a bone trophic hormone. <laughs> like it literally seems to promote bone, bone formation, which is wonderful. So it's one of the first hormones I'll start my um, patients on, even before they're menopausal. Many perimenopausal or, or younger females are in need of, of taking progesterone. And when I mention testosterone for women, some women kind of look at me sideways like, well, I don't want to grow a beard or I don't think I need mm -hmm. testosterone. But actually, it's extremely important if you even think of how testosterone helps with muscle mass. It can help strengthen the patient also, right, to improve balance, to minimize falls. Testosterone is, is great for many reasons. Um, in my book, I actually mentioned a study. I, I feel so strongly about how important testosterone can help really because of this study and because I've seen this. Um, testosterone has shown an 8.3% improvement in bone mineral density, which is like unheard of. It's, it's just dramatic. I've had patients who have received hormone replacement therapy, not overnight, but over years, <laughs> Um, go from having osteoporosis to osteopenia to even having normal bone density because year after year, their bones are improving. And that is, that is amazing. And, and with conventional medicine, many times putting patients on drugs, we're just hoping that they don't have a decline. We're just hoping that they stabilize, not that they actually build, build bone density. And hormones can really help do that. Um, but in reference to your other question, anytime we talk about hormones, the cancer word is going to come up. I was just going to ask that. <laughs> So that's where I can differentiate between the synthetics and the naturals. And in my book in chapter six, I actually show the molecular structure of synthetic hormones, like a synthetic, you know, progestin and natural progesterone, a synthetic testosterone molecule and natural testosterone. Because the hormones really need to fit like a key fitting in a keyhole, right? And that's what the molecular structure of natural or bioidentical hormones are in. I mean, they should fit like a key fitting in a keyhole and thus cause fewer side effects. So most of the studies that showed hormones cause cancer were studies like the Women's Health Initiative study, which was done on a lot of women, but they use synthetic horse urine. They use Premarin. That's literally what Premarin stands for, pregnant mare's urine. So naturally, I try to not replicate what was done in that study with my patients. I don't want to use synthetic hormones. I don't want to use oral estrogen either. Um, estrogen, that means estrogen taken by mouth in a pill form, right? Which is going to have to be cleared through the gut and the liver. Okay. So who was trained through um, is 
I should say, in addition to the fellowship program that I, I went through, was BioT. They're a hormone pellet company. They're the biggest hormone pellet company in the nation who very well trains their providers and their practitioners. And they keep us up to date on uh, all the current research and what's happening in Europe as well um, with hormones. And so they strongly believe that hormones given in a pellet version, which is an actual subcutaneous little implant that we put under the fatty tissue, kind of in the lower back, upper bottom area, is by far the safest. And that's what we're going for with our patients, right? We want to improve bone density, we want them feeling better, but we want to give them the safest, safest version and the safest dosage. And so pellet therapy specifically is what can improve bone density the most. But again, we're using natural hormones that are plant-based, not synthetic. They should bind to your hormone receptors appropriately. And therefore the risks of, you know, what were shown in the Women's Health Initiative study just can't be compared to what practitioners like myself use because we're using natural hormones, not the synthetics and not by mouth. And so what are the side effects or the downside of using these natural hormones versus the synthetic? Sure. So all of us are already making, well, we should be making hormones, right? Mm. We, we grow up, we go through adolescence, our hormones peak, and then in our 30s, 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s, you know, we start seeing this decline. So really, if hormones are dosed appropriately, patients shouldn't have side effects. However, if you think of um, younger women when they're cycling, sometimes before bleeding, they may have some fluid retention or a little bit of breast tenderness or whatnot. Okay. And sometimes those symptoms can reoccur as we give patients hormones. The goal is that those would be very short-lived. They wouldn't last once we refine the dose. But too much of estrogen can definitely cause fluid retention, breast tenderness, potentially some weight gain. Too much testosterone could cause uh, acne, oily skin, hair growth. Too much progesterone can make you feel a little tired. Um, most menopausal women need help sleeping, so they like that effect. <laughs> kind of calms them down. Or if women are real PMSy, they need or have anxiety. They need some progesterone to calm them down. But we don't want to overdose patients, right? We don't want to give them too high levels of the hormones, but we want to give them high enough levels that will protect their bones, that will help them sleep, right? That will provide benefit. And is are there instances of cancer with the natural hormones? So. There are always instances of cancer. I can't say definitively that, mm -hmm. you know, I've never seen it. I never had a patient ever have cancer. Um, but from my experience, they're very rare. And um, something like BioT are great to have as a resource because they track all of that. I mean, they are, they're tracking all these hundreds and hundreds of thousands of patients with pellets and they're tracking the rates. Mm -hmm. And they confidently say the rates are extremely low. Okay. Okay. Um, Good. Well, you know, because we want to give the listeners sort of like a balanced view of everything. So we want to give the, you know, as you know, and, and I'm sure this is the exact questions that your patients probably ask you. Right. Yes. So, and, or hopefully that's what they ask you. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, so now, which, you know, talking about these hormones, how would, how would one know if they are low on these hormones? Good question. Really get tested. Does every postmenopausal woman with osteoporosis need testosterone? No, I can't say that. <laughs> I'm speaking to what has helped my patients, but the beauty of functional and integrative medicine is that we personalize treatment, right? We test hormone levels to see what our patients need. And we test them at the beginning of therapy and through the therapy and annually, right? To make sure we're not under or overdosing <laughs> our patients. So, um, I recommend that women, even young women, and, and I should say men too, but we're kind of speaking to women today, um, get their hormone levels tested in their 20s, 30s, 40s, right? So they can get a baseline. They can track changes. So 
they start to feel different, start to feel something's gone awry, we can compare to see where their hormones were before. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's really important, but a basic blood test can tell you where your hormone levels are. And now that's for postmenopausal women and for men. Now, if you're younger, um, another test that I utilize in my practice is saliva hormone testing. So for younger women whose hormones fluctuate, whose hormones fluctuate on a daily basis, Many times I'll have them spit into a tube every couple of days over the course of a month. So we can really see what's happening. Maybe they're getting headaches with ovulation, or maybe they're getting headaches before bleeding or having PMS or whatnot. If we can correlate their labs with their symptoms, then we know exactly what's happening, which hormone fluctuation is, is triggering that. And then we can intervene appropriately. So that's the beauty of testing is not guessing, really being able mm -hmm. to, to examine on paper what's happening and match it with what the patient's telling and with osteoporosis or osteopenia, let's say you are getting tested when you're younger to find out, you know, what what are maybe you def, what are you deficient in, uh, vitamin or mineral wise, and where are your hormones hormone levels at? Can you through this uh, process help to, let's say, ward off osteoporosis or osteopenia, even if it's a genetic thing within your family? So my, I guess the easy answer there would be, sure, that would be the goal. Of course. <clears throat> Don't we want to ward off all chronic disease? Of Yeah, exactly. Our, our nutritional status and yeah. Um, I'm sure there could be some rare genetic disorder I'm not aware of that maybe, you know, we couldn't influence, but, <laughs> but yes, that would absolutely be the goal is intervene soon. Absolutely. Got it. And is there anything else when you're when you're seeing patients coming to you with osteopenia, osteoporosis, anything else that you're looking at or any other um, treatments that you may suggest so that if anyone is listening to this, and let's say they are concerned that maybe they have osteoporosis or osteopenia or they are postmenopausal or reaching that postmenopausal phase and they want to go to their doctor and they want to ask them about these tests, is there anything else aside from what we've already talked about that you would suggest? Oh, all kinds of things. So <laughs> uh, back to the micronutrient deficiency you know, possibility. Well, especially if that occurs, we're going to be looking at diet with the patient, right? I had a young woman my age who was drinking like six or seven cups of coffee per day. And I said, and you know, that's just basically leaching minerals from your bones, right? It's a diuretic. It's, it's, it's also, it's essentially robbing you of all important nutrients, even nutrients you're supplementing with. So mm -hmm. we do need to examine diet with all of our patients to make yeah. sure that we're eating well, right? And not just drinking mm -hmm. tons of carbonated beverages or caffeine or, or whatnot. So definitely looking at diet is important. Um, sometimes we do look at heavy metal toxicity with our patients, with these patients specifically. Um, it's, I would say, I don't want to say it's rare, but it's much more common and more easy to treat the patients, you know, by fixing the nutritional deficiencies and the hormones. But there are times where it is really important to look at heavy metals as well. And then I definitely always ask my patients about their stress, right? So if they have low hormone levels, that's part of that's natural, right? Your hormones are going to decline as you age, but mm -hmm. if you're super stressed out, stress is your body's biggest hormone hijacker. Stress is not helping your situation or your bones. So we do need to think about lifestyle and really getting stressed under control, deep breathing, yoga, you know, meditation, those mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. And then examine if they're doing weight bearing activity as well. Yeah, of course. And that needs to start really young, right? You build yeah. your bone mineral density in your 20s. So you know, that needs to start 
at a very young age. But I do want to make sure my, my patients are, are exercising as well. Great. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think that gives us a really nice holistic view of kind of looking at osteopenia and osteoporosis from sort of bridging the gap really between that functional medicine and traditional medicine. As a physical therapist, we I often get patients referred to me for osteoporosis to do those exactly what you said, those weight-bearing exercises, stress reduction, things like that. And so it's good to know that as a physical therapist that we can team up with other healthcare professionals uh, with our patients' well-being at the center. Absolutely. We, and I think we need, I mean, I would say that that's also um, a belief of functional medicine that we need interdisciplinary care for our patients. You know, I don't have time during my visits to teach patients, you know, exercise for strength and balance and whatnot. Right. Right. We have our own strengths, but we can work together as a team. We really have a multidisciplinary approach for our patients, which is going to provide them with better outcomes. So, Yeah, no question. I agree 100%. And now we had mentioned the book a little bit. It's called The Longevity Blueprint. But uh, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about the book and where they can find it? Sure. So maybe I'll go off on a little tangent here and just say why I wrote the book first, too. Perfect. I think sometimes patients are... Um, Consumers may think, oh, so-and-so just wrote a book, but she doesn't know because she hasn't experienced such and such, <laughs> whatnot. And I'm definitely a provider who has gone through my own health challenges, unfortunately, but fortunately I've used them <laughs> to my advantage to, to write um, this book. So I personally, I've struggled with a lot of things. The most challenging really was fast heart rate um, or tachycardic episodes, which um, landed me at Mayo Clinic actually. Well, first landed me in the emergency room, but eventually landed me at Mayo and conventional medicine's approach to my issue was to take a medication to control my heart rate. And although that could have worked and could have helped, <laughs> um, I thought I need to figure out what's happening to me. I need to figure out why my body's gone awry, right? Why my heart is racing like this. And so around the same time, my husband is actually our office manager at our, our clinic. We have an integrative health clinic in Iowa. And he said, you know, you should really use this to try to streamline the process as far as, um, uh, what we recommend to our patients. Can you outline all of what we offer? Because sometimes patients would come see a functional medicine practitioner who only offered gut health or only offered hormone health or detoxing or whatnot. And we really offered the whole shebang. And so he said, why don't we try to <laughs> create some sort of analogy to outline all of what we can offer patients really to provide them hope. And so I, I created this blueprint outlining uh, functional medicine and all the different principles, uh, what we can offer patients with every organ system of the body. And then I out, I kind of laced through my personal story as well, as far as what I had to utilize to regain back my health. And so what I'm doing with the book is I'm trying to at least create this analogy between how we maintain our homes and then compare that to our body, right? Mm -hmm. So with our home, we have, well, I have hair in my drain, right? I don't want hair clogging my drain. <laughs> um, you probably- <laughs> probably mow your lawn if you have a lawn you probably change the furnace filters on your home right there are just things you have you know you have to do to maintain your home but we don't always know how to maintain our body we don't know how to rebuild our body if we're sick or, or build good health period and so i'm taking a room in each in each of our homes right and i'm comparing that to an organ system in the body so chapter one is all about gut health because i believe the gut is the most important piece of our health the most important um, organ system that we have and i'm comparing that to the foundation of the home you have to have the strong foundation upon which to build good health so then i go chapter by chapter um comparing you know organ systems so we were talking a lot about chapter four today 
and chapter six. Chapter six, um, I'm comparing the heating and cooling in your home, right? You don't want, <laughs> don't want to be too cold, you don't want to be too hot, you have to have a good thermostat there, but I'm comparing that to the endocrine system in the body. And so I try to help patients rebuild their body, rebuild every organ system using functional medicine principles. So I talk about the tests that are important. I talk about the nutrients that are important and offer patients resources as well. That's awesome. That's really great for patients. And just so everyone knows, we'll have a link to the book in the show notes over at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. So if you're interested, you can go over, click a link, and it'll take you right to Stephanie's book. So you can read more about it and see if it's for you. And now, Stephanie, um, I ask everyone this question at the end of the podcast, and that is, Knowing where you are now in your life and in your business, what advice would you give to yourself? And in your case, since you have a plethora of degrees, let's say right after your bachelor degree, after you graduated with that bachelor's in nursing. What advice would I give? What advice would you give to yourself? So that's tough. Um, I think what part of what I've learned through my health situation, I had to change my diet and nutrition and whatnot, but I also had to reduce stress big time. And so I I think one tidbit that I I really recommend to all, well, everyone, but including the youth, (laughs) I wish I would have as, as happy I, as I am to be where I am and to have the knowledge I have so that I can ultimately help others. Mm -hmm. My health suffered along the way. And so I could have, you know, done this over a longer period of time instead of jamming it into <laughs> fewer years. So I think the advice to myself would be to to physically set time in my calendar to deep breathe. Deep breathing has been extremely important to me to calm my nervous system. Mm-hmm. I'm a go-getter. I'm obviously a fast talker. <laughs> and I needed to set aside time for my body to just mend and relax, <laughs> rest and digest. So I... I think that's what my advice would be to take time for myself as hard as it would have been. It probably would have been very difficult for me to do yoga. I probably couldn't have sat still, but I, I needed it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. probably the advice to just slow down, breathe slowly <laughs> and take time. Yeah. And that's great advice. And it's advice that I give to a, a good majority of my patients as well. And so now is there anything else? I know that you had mentioned that you have an offer for our listeners. Do you want to share that now? Sure. So if you are hearing about functional medicine for the first time today, I'd highly recommend you check out my book just because I think that it could provide you hope or hope for a loved one. I think many patients are just so dissatisfied. They keep going to the doctor. They keep being told that everything's normal and they know they don't feel normal and they know there are answers out there. And there's a good potential that a functional medicine provider could help you. Um, so I would definitely recommend you grab a copy of my book, um, which is loaded with resources, but also look for a functional medicine practitioner in your area. Mm-hmm. Um, so the code on our website that can be used to purchase the book, although it's available at Barnes and Noble and Amazon and everywhere books are sold is mm-hmm. your longevity blueprint.com. So if you use the code healthy 10, you can get 10% off your order. So the book or any of supplements like vitamin K2 or anything you feel like you, <laughs> um, you need. But grab a contractor, you know, when you think of a home being built, there's always a contractor overseeing that process. And and that's what the last chapter in my book is about finding your contractor to help you personalize a plan to build your health. The book can help, but you do need a guide. You need a contractor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was great. I love learning um, different ways to kind of keep myself healthy. And as I get older and I start, I mean, 
I think I have a little while left, but kind of entering the phase of my life where a lot of this stuff is going to be very pertinent to me. So I thank you for sharing it all. Well, thank you for having me on. I hope this helps many of your viewers. And I think it will. Thank you so much, Stephanie, and everyone out there listening. Thanks so much. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.